the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome to Selwyn's Law. I'm Selwyn Whitehead. I'm a California Bar-admitted attorney and also a bankruptcy law certified specialist certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. So in addition to holding a DAD, I also have a couple of master's degrees in law, one in the taxation of laws, (laughs) and the other a master in the laws of intellectual property. Because my training, my interests, I practice bankruptcy for the most part, but I also do debt wealth management, estates and trust, real estate, and taxation law. So again, I'm so pleased to come to you again today from the beautiful KFAX studios in beautiful San Francisco to discuss some of the financial issues confronting families and small business owners. But I must always note that this show does not provide legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show serves strictly as an educational forum for the exchange of information that may be helpful to you to begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and to provide you with an outline of the key issues that may help you seek out qualified professional help. So today we're going to continue our discussion of bankruptcy. And for the last several weeks, I've gone over what bankruptcy is, why it's important in our economy, and uh, lastly, the key players in the bankruptcy process, including the debtor or the debtors, sometimes multiple individuals or multiple companies file under one bankruptcy case. And they do so either because the debtor or debtors are insolvent, such that she cannot pay her bills as they become due, or in a case where the liabilities of the debtor exceed her assets, or there could be a debtor who's not per se insolvent but might need time to liquidate one or more assets in order to become current with her overall debt portfolio. Then there's also the creditors who have a claim against the debtor and they just want to get paid. And then there are the debtor's attorneys who represent the debtor and fight to vindicate the debtor or debtor's rights. And so what do I mean? What if the entity that puts you into bankruptcy or causes you to file for bankruptcy turns out to be a bad guy? Maybe their claim, which we're going to talk about in a bit, is invalid. 
or maybe they perpetrated some kind of untoward act that caused you to enter into the relationship with them, that is to say the debtor-creditor relationship with them, and it was fraudulently induced. Sometimes when I represent uh, debtors in bankruptcy, and I have to fight against their creditors and prove to the bankruptcy court that the debt is without merit. And if that is the case, it might just be that the debt will not be held against the debtor. That's a very important right to vindicate. And so in addition to me when I'm on the debtor's side, it could be me when I'm on the creditor's side because creditors usually hire attorneys to represent them in bankruptcy because individuals um, who are entities need to have an individual, a human being, speak for them in bankruptcy court. And quite frankly, most creditors have the ability to afford uh, counsel. And so creditors' counsel want to vindicate their clients' rights. And so what rights might they vindicate? What if the debtor perpetrated a fraud on his or her creditor to obtain the loan, to obtain whatever it is that is of value that now is in the debtor's bankruptcy estate? Perhaps the creditor's counsel will be able to prove to the court by filing a lawsuit or some other kind of contested uh, matter inside the bankruptcy that, say, the debtor put together a financial statement saying that the debtor had certain assets and, and showed that the debtor had the ability to pay. Well, what if those numbers were cooked? And what if the debtor really should not have been given the loan because he or she did not have the financial wherewithal or viability to have access to the loan? A creditor will come into the bankruptcy and via his or her counsel will file a lawsuit or start some other kind of of, uh, contested matter via a motion asking the court to say that the debtor uh, perpetrated a fraud and their debt, that creditor's debt, should not be discharged in bankruptcy. So as you see, a bankruptcy can be a fairly complicated legal matter. Then the next key player is the bankruptcy court. And there are actually multiple facets to a bankruptcy court. The bankruptcy court includes the judge. And in most districts, there might be one or more judge, but each judge has his or her own courtroom. And the proper way to um, speak about a judge sitting in his or her robe is the court because they represent the court. So there'll be the judge and, and who decides legal contests amongst the parties, as the the cases, the examples I gave you previously. And the judge also has a staff that helps her analyze the parties' cases, because when you file a lawsuit, you file papers, you file a complaint, the other side files an answer. Um, And then there's one or more motions that go on, and the party responds, and the initial party replies. And so all of those documents and what the case law indicated has to be researched by the judge and his or her staff. You know, the judges like to believe what we say to them when we're before the court, 
pleading our clients' cases. The judges want to believe that we know what we're talking about and that we actually have good case law. But sometimes we don't, and it could be an accident, inadvertent, a mistake, a typo, or new case law has come down since we filed our initial pleadings. And so that's what the judge's staff, his or her personal staff, who are most likely lawyers, uh, sometimes paralegals, but most likely lawyers. So you have the judge who's a lawyer. You have the the judge's um, legal staff who are mostly lawyers. And then the other group uh, of people that are involved in the court or come under the court umbrella are the administrators of the court. And so those are the people that make the court run. Those are the people that are in charge of all the pleadings, the filings. They collect the fees. Uh, they, they make sure that um, uh, the courts have the latest uh, rules and regulations that come down on, on high. So the, the, the bankruptcy court is multiple parties. One of the ones that are most important, however, I believe, in my opinion, is the judge and his or her staff. Then we also talked about the Office of the U.S. Trustee, which is a depart, uh, division of the Department of Justice, which is a part of the executive branch. And I think that's interesting here that the bankruptcy court is the manifest, manifestation of all three branches of our government. We have the Congress who creates the bankruptcy code, and we have the judicial branch who create the rules of, as to how the bankruptcy court will run. Then we have the bankruptcy judges who are in both both. <laughs> The Congress, because the bankruptcy courts are are creatures of Congress, but they also are appended to the judicial branch. And then we have the Department of Justice, the Office of the United States Trustee, that's part of the executive branch. So there you have your constitution in action in bankruptcy court, which is a good thing, because hopefully with all those different eyes and ears looking on your case, you'll get the best result possible for you if you're a good guy, and you'll pay a price if you're a bad guy. And then the, sev- the seventh group is the, um, the trustees that are appointed by the Office of the United States Trustee, and when your case is filed, uh, they are uh, anointed <laughs> by the court to take over your case. So those are Chapter 7 trustees. Chapter 12 trustees, if you're a fisher person or a farmer. Chapter 13 trustees, if you're an individual trying to reorganize your debt. And usually in Chapter 11s, the debtor will usually be the first trustee and, and likely the only trustee unless and until he or she is removed from that position by her malfeasance, her nonfeasance, or her misfeasance, in which case a Chapter 11 trustee will be appointed or an examiner might be appointed to get to the bottom of the hinky things that the debtor might be doing. So uh, I also went over some of the key uh, events that happen in the bankruptcy process. Uh, There's this magical, mystical uh, automatic stay that comes as soon as you file, even if the other side doesn't know you file. So I'm going to put a pin in it right there. And then when I come back, I'm going to talk about today's topic. And this is the number one question I have received since I've been a bankruptcy attorney. 
Can I discharge my student loan debts in bankruptcy? And the answer is me. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. And welcome back to Selwyn's Law. Today, we're going to continue our discussion of Bankruptcy 101 by discussing the number one question I have received since I've been a bankruptcy lawyer, and that is, how can I discharge my student loan debt in bankruptcy, or even can I? And the short answer is maybe. You know, as we've discussed over these last several weeks, Bankruptcy, especially consumer bankruptcy, exists to provide a fresh start to individuals or their families in financial distress. However, the bankruptcy code prohibits the discharge of certain kinds of debts, and those include bad boy debts. And so what are bad boy debts? Those are debts that are were acquired via fraud or, you know, some other untoward method. And there are also some non-bad boy debts that aren't dischargeable. That is to say, if you owe a domestic support obligation, and domestic support obligations in layperson's terms would be alimony or child support, or if, say, the state of California had to intercede uh, to on behalf of your former spouse or your children uh, to collect the domestic support obligations, sometimes the state of California has standing to collect a domestic support obligation inside of a bankruptcy court. But again, the number one question I get from folks is, what can I do with my student loan debt? I hear that it's non-dischargeable. Well, for the most part, student loan debts are not dischargeable in bankruptcy. Um, Student loan debts are an obligation for the most part that you have undertaken for yourself or in some instances for your children, and you borrow money that either directly or indirectly is underwritten by the Department of Education. And as I talked about in one of uh, my previous shows, you know, if we don't pay what we owe back to the government, how can the government run? For example, if we don't pay our taxes, some taxes aren't dischargeable in bankruptcy because if someone doesn't pay her tax obligation, Harry has to pay both his and her tax obligations, and and, and that's not fair. The same scenario with domestic support obligations. If the person who's responsible for the domestic support obligation doesn't pay his or her obligations to his former spouse or child or her former spouse or child, then the rest of society has to take care of those children and that former spouse who might not have a job via our welfare system. So it's it's kind of similar to that with um, the education loans. But just as in the other cases, there are ways that one can prove to a court that one should maybe not have to pay back their student loan debt. And that requires 
an adversary proceeding, that is to say a lawsuit, a federal lawsuit inside of the bankruptcy, and that's where the debtor will have to prove to the court that it would be an undue hardship to pay that student loan debt and maintain any kind of of minimal quality standard of living for the debtor and any of the debtor's dependents. Now, undue hardship is not defined in the bankruptcy code. And again, the bankruptcy code is the big part of the big book of laws in the United States of America, and it's the big book of laws, the chapter, you know, Moses, uh, you know, with, with, with his tablets, you know, there's this one that says bankruptcy. And so that's the bankruptcy code. It explains what the laws is, and it's a creation of Congress. And so undue hardship is not defined in the code. And as a result, standards and precedences, and those are previous cases, for establishing undue hardship can vary considerably depending on the federal district in which the case is pending. Even in the most permissive districts, such as in the Ninth Circuit, where we are, the Ninth Circuit are the most of the Western United States, even in the, in the most progressive districts inside the Ninth Circuit, obtaining a discharge from student loan is expensive, Again, it's not part of your underlying bankruptcy case, so you will have to hire counsel or your existing bankruptcy counsel to litigate on your behalf, to be your knight in shining armor with her sword and her shield in front of the bankruptcy court. Even in the most permissive districts, obtaining a discharge is expensive, it's an extra cost, and difficult. So relatively few debtors make the effort, which is wrong. Just because something is hard, if you have a case that might be vindicated, you at least should discuss it with your attorney. Or you should find an attorney who has expertise in discharging student loan debt in bankruptcy. You know, I do this work and you would be amazed the um, intelligent, well-informed individuals who tell me that you can't discharge <laughs> student loan debt and bankruptcy when I have done it, okay? But it's hard, and you have to have the facts. You have to have facts that tend to show the court that if you had to pay your student loan debt, you wouldn't be able, a little bit more than not being able to put food on the table, but you would be strapped. In the Ninth Circuit, it's called the Bruner Test, and tests are based on cases that have generally worked them, themselves up through the district court level to the appellate court level, sometimes all the way up to the Supreme Court, and the court has ruled. And so in the Ninth Circuit, it's the Bruner Test that is used to define undue hardship. And there are three prongs to it. First, the debtor cannot maintain, based on her current income and expenses, a minimal standard of living for herself and her dependents if she was forced to repay the loan. Additional circumstances indicate that the state of the debtor's affairs will likely persist for a significant portion of the repayment period, 
and the debtor has made a good faith effort to repay the loan. So if I take in $2,000 a month and it takes me $1,900 to pay rent, put food on the table for me and my kids, and uh, have transportation to go to and from work, there's $100 left over. But what if my student loan debt is $500? Because I have an advanced degree in psychology, and when I got out of college, nobody was hiring shrinks anymore because shrinks were on sale from, from India or someplace. And so I've been working as, as a waitress for the last several years, and I have this huge $100,000 student loan debt, and I'm supposed to be making $500 a month payments, but if you look at my, my budget, Mr. Judge, man or Mr. Judge Lady, I only have an excess of $100. And my employer doesn't pay me, doesn't carry my insurance coverage. I need that $100 to pay for my insurance coverage. So, well, I don't need the whole $100. I need $95. So that means I have $5 left over. And and I'd happily give that to my student loan debt, but my student loan debt keeps, you know, escalating. A judge might say that, we are going to let make you pay $5 a month for the next, you know, 60 months towards your um, student loan debt, and then the rest of it will be forgiven. You follow the law. That's the law in the majority of the circuits. That's the law in the Third Circuit, the Fourth Circuit, the Fifth Circuit, the Sixth Circuit, the Seventh Circuit, and beautiful downtown San Francisco Bay Area, we're in the Ninth Circuit. Now, if you're listening to my voice and you're in not one of the majority circuits, say you're in the Eighth Circuit, they use something called the totality of the circumstances test, which is very difficult and very hard to prove because it depends on each of the courts, how how they feel about it. There have been instances where People who are 65 years old and have, you know, $300 excess after they take care of their family, the court might say, well, no, we're not going to forgive your student loan debt. So it's your facts and circumstances, where your case is, um, what the court has approved, which test the court uses, and you need to discuss this with counsel to see if you might be able to pass the Bruner test, if you're in one of the circuits where that's the test that's used, and if you're in listening to my voice in the San Francisco Bay Area, the Ninth Circuit uses the Bruner test. But if you're listening to my voice in the Mid- Midwest where the Eighth Circuit rules, you will have to hire counsel or at least discuss the matter. Find counsel that has expertise, some expertise in student loan debt, and discuss your specific facts and circumstances. But what I observe is people don't try. You need to at least try. And if you have an attorney that's worth her weight or worth her salt, she will discuss the pros and cons of filing a lawsuit in your case and determining whether or not you might be able to um, discharge your debt. You know, wouldn't that be amazing, especially for an honest person 
who has been trying to, you know, make ends meet, trying to pay her regular bills, trying to keep food on the table and paying what she she can towards her student loan debt, but she just can't do it. And so it's not, you know, anticipating that, you know, someone has a PhD and she's likely going to get a $200,000 a year job. It might just be someone has a PhD, she owes $200,000, and the best she can do is work in an office. And if she does so, she cannot pay back the student loan debt. And she needs to explain that to the judge via competent counsel. So to recap, depending on the facts and circumstances of your situation, you may be able to discharge student loan debt in a bankruptcy case. You need to consult a competent bankruptcy attorney. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the law office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.